Welcome to the IDA Sustainable Trade Podcast. I'm Elske Stevenson, and today we're going to talk about living wages. In April of this year, companies came together in a call to action to help eradicate poverty through a commitment to build a living wage economy together. Earning a living wage means workers receive sufficient wages to afford a decent standard of living for the worker and their family. We are working to secure living wages through a roadmap, the Roadmap on Living Wage. This platform of more than 30 companies looks to strengthen international alignment and to build tangible solutions regarding living wage. Eosta, a leading importer, packer and distributor of organically grown fresh produce, is a member of this platform and regards living wage as the most important topic in the social domain for the coming years. Today, we will discuss this hot topic with the CEO of Eosta, Volkert Engelsman, and Annelot Grenadier. Senior Program Manager at IDH, to better understand the work that is underway and what still needs to be done to secure living wages at a global level. Living wage is a crucially important topic for Yosta, simply for the simple reason that we see three tsunamis unfolding in slow motion behind Corona. The first tsunami is uh, personal vitality related. The second is social inclusion related. And the third is ecosystem collapse related. I think uh, the latter is obvious. The middle one, this social inclusion, is less obvious but also quite visible. And if we do not address this growing wealth gap on the planet, we risk tremendous uh, social disruption, as we can already see today. And I think it is one of uh, the three pillars of the post-corona normal uh, that is related to health, to social inclusion, and to uh, ecological resilience. Corona only accelerated this threefold vitality agenda tremendously as a wake-up call that uh, our um, policy shouldn't stop with uh, mouth covers and vaccinations, But we have to look at these tsunamis that are unfolding. But social inclusion has been a major challenge already for for decades, of course. As a global society, we've so far failed, really, to come up with a proper framework to address this. And what's the biggest hurdle? What is the big roadblock? You know, in our sustainability flower that we apply to make the impact on people and planet transparent... Within this sustainability flower, we identify three social domains. The first is the development potential of the individual. Second, equal opportunities and no discrimination. And thirdly, a uh, fair distribution of wealth. And I think living wages is a a fair entry into all three domains. Because if we do not provide everyone and each of uh, the players in the global supply chains with a proper income uh, or a living income or a living wage, then um, you can forget about the first two. So that's why we love this idea to zoom into living wages. And uh, then, of course, the question is, where do you start? Because since it is not minimum wage, you can't just look it up in a uh, government policy. You have to do, one, a lot of research, which is carried out by professionals, living wage focus groups, HIVOS, 
anchor and anchor many groundbreaking pioneers who have done their homework in establishing country-specific standards to establish what a living income or a living wage would look like. So that's the first hurdle. The second hurdle is how do you then focus on the 20% of all the indicators that define 80% of the impact? So that requires an enormous dialogue throughout the supply chain to assess where the uh, obstacles are. And the third hurdle is how do you then communicate this at point of sale? Ultimately, you want growers to reward, or anybody for that matter, to reward for their efforts to provide their workers with a living wage. But that needs to be paid for. So that's the third big hurdle to, uh, which usually is at point of sale at the retailer, who usually is uh, the big uh, absent magic uh, number in the entire supply chain. So everyone is actually willing to contribute except for the retailers. They seem to be quite stubborn when it comes to providing transparency with regards to impact uh, communication, and that includes living wage. Um, I think that's also a nice bridge to Anna Lot because, right, you are part of the Sustainable Initiative Fruit and Vegetable, CFAF. And that includes, I think, also some retailers. But um, that includes around 30 organizations at the moment, um, as well as EOSTA. So how is the topic of living wage discussed within CFAF? Actually, uh, CFAF just kicked off a new agenda. Uh, a new program for 2025 called CFAF 2025, which definitely also includes the topic of living wages. But what I really like is that we kind of have an integrated approach on sustainability. I think very much to what Volker just explained about their sustainability flower, right? It's not just about living wages. It's about much more. So in fact, we have three key pillars that we're working on. The foundation is due diligence, so helping companies and ensuring that companies know what's going on in their supply chain, where the risks lie, where the issues are, including where there are uh, smaller or larger gaps in living wages. Um, the second one is uh, environmental sustainability, and then the third one is social sustainability. And I think you should always look at these elements jointly because they interact and because if you want to work on one you also need to consider the other but then when focusing in on that topic of social sustainability there are two key parts first the first one which we've been working on for quite a long time now is uh, working conditions but one of the key topics that had been lacking there but now is luckily very solidly positioned is the topic of living wage so all the companies that have joined CFAF 2025 and that have committed to our targets aim to work on living wages, which means uh, different things for different companies, to be honest. Companies like EOSTA, but also Fives and, and uh, several of the retailers that are part of, of CFAF are already very advanced in their knowledge and understanding and their commitment to living wages. But there are also companies that still need to take steps and gain that, that experience. So one of the first key steps will be to ensure that all these companies, you know, learn the ropes, uh, learn about how do you work on living wages? How do you work with the salary matrix? How do you engage with suppliers? Some 
supply chains and for some companies that is more easy or more part of their nature than for others. Uh, but that will be a key step to really scale up what, what you know, front runners like EOSTA have been doing so far. Um, making sure that it's not just one or two or five growers, but a whole uh, supply chain of specific products that are working on living wages and, and progressing towards a living wage. So that is really what CFAF aims to be, is that platform where a companies can find support and expertise to work on it in their single supply chains, but then also come together and see how you can work as a group towards driving living wages, for example, for a whole avocado supply chain, right? Not, not just uh, the ones working with Yosta, but many more as well. And that is uh, yeah, something that is challenging, but also really great to be working on in the coming five years. Well, let me first applaud on a lot with uh, the fantastic work that has been um, carried out by CFAF and also the roadmap on living wages. Because as she already mentioned, ultimately we need a, a, a more level playing field in the market where the polluter or the exploiter no longer gets away with a competitive advantage. We've been externalizing costs of damage to people and planets for decades now. Although we've been talking about it a lot, we ultimately profit uh, uh, wins always from people and planet. And uh, thanks to CFAF and these uh, sort of initiatives, it seems to be uh, descending people and planet related values and also monetized values seem to be descending into the DNA of a new profit definition. So the new profit definition, I would say, includes fair distribution of wealth and no damage to the planet. So for that, as Annalot already mentioned, yeah, you need front runners, but you mostly need a coordinator of a global platform such as IDH or the CFAF initiative to unite uh, efforts to achieve this. And that all starts with uh, harmonizing uh, standards and uh, providing protocols and roadmaps, which is precisely what they've been doing. Uh, secondly, it is all about disclosure. It is all about transparency. So uh, whilst we may not exactly know what living income is or living wage, and living income is uh, even more complicated than living wage, it shouldn't stop us from uh, transparently communicating about what we are doing. And there are always obstacles why you should not do something, but we should focus on the 20% that defines 80% of the impact and transparency. And that's precisely what we did in Kenya and uh, in East and West Africa in close cooperation with IDH to establish a framework, a template, a protocol to help instrumentalize how we assess what a living wage is. And it helped us uh, finally to communicate to the sector and to retail about this um, 10 cent per kilo difference that for instance in Burkina Faso is needed, is required on mangoes to close the living wage gap. Ultimately, you want a third-party audited uh, supply chain where you have an objective standard 
that you meet or don't meet. By a lack of such a, a third-party objective standard, you have to experiment. So first of all, we had to address the different steps in the um, supply chain with farm workers, harvesters, factory workers, office staff, etc., and establish what a living wage uh, would look like and then uh, differentiate with uh, living income because that's a whole different ballgame since farm workers or harvesters do not exclusively work on mango or avocado plantations, but also on other plant plantations. So uh, you need to uh, keep an eye on that as well. So we teamed up with other sectors, with all other commodity uh, areas to uh, unite powers and forces to establish what a living income, a fair living income would look like. And then the question, of course, you addressed is how do you ensure that this uh, 10 cents that you generate, in our case, it was we did with Zongo Adama from Frutec in, in Burkina Faso. Uh, that year we did about 850,000 kilos of uh, mangoes, 850 tons which is about 40, uh, 50 sea freight containers, just to give you an impression. And we needed about 85,000 euros to close the living wage gap. So that's how we came up with the 10 cents per kilo. And then we talked to Zongo and asked him, how do we make sure that this money ends up with the right people? And he teamed up with local NGOs and it is a loyalty deal, actually, where you have to trust each other by lack of a third-party auditing op option uh, that this money ends up at the right place. The premium we generated, which is in total uh, for just these mangoes from uh, Frutec in Burkina Faso, uh, is 85,000 euros. We put that in a trust together uh, with uh, the uh, grower, the central figurehead, and a couple of NGOs who govern that trust to make sure that this premium ends up at the right place and, and the right people. And uh, obviously, we're far from where we want to be, but development is always a matter of thinking in opportunities rather than obstacles. Was this model or this approach a direct copy in the avocado supply chain or uh, was a different approach needed there? We had a couple of uh, avocado initiatives, particularly in Kenya, in some, we had a similar approach with, through a fund. In one other occasion, uh, actually all the um, farm workers and harvesters were in this group anyway. So it was easier to provide them with a living income uh, compensation directly. Let's summarize. I would love to hear on a lot on this, but uh, let's summarize three hurdles. And uh, the smallest hurdle is uh, probably establishing a framework, protocol, standards, etc. So we know, all know what we're talking about when we say living wage. What does that mean? It's country, it's area, it's commodity specific. So we need a lot of work. Uh, but that can be tackled, I think. A second hurdle is uh, total transparency and independent auditing. We need ultimately a label or a certification scheme that guarantees what it promises. But the biggest hurdle is um, the retailer because of total lack of transparency at point of sale with the retailer who simply so far refuses to provide transparency and to empower the consumer to make an informed purchase decision. So I think uh, as, as Volkert pointed out, 
being able to sell to consumers uh, products that have living wage inside is a big challenge. And I think that's also a challenge for the retailers themselves, right? How do you do that? If, if you look at price differentiation in supermarkets or in other food retail stores, you have, for example, fair trade products or organic products that usually sell at a premium, and there's a market for that. In the end, what we, of course, would prefer to see is that it becomes the new norm, not something that is positioned at a premium for the high-end consumers, but rather something that is available for all. And making that possible, I think that's a struggle for, uh, you know, for all the parties in the supply chain, how do you do that? And that is why it's also important to move the whole market rather than one specific uh, group of products coming from a few suppliers. I think in the end you need both. And that is why I really applaud EOSTA for taking that step and for asking that in the market and for making it maybe a bit more painful, right? Making it clear that this is something that we need to move to. But in the end, I think the true difference will get there once there's a more broader uptake. And when that also means that consumers don't have the choice between products, between products that don't have living wage and do have living wage inside, but where, where, where it's rather a given, but where that also means that you don't see differentiation between retail stores on the price of products because of one selling with living wage and others selling without. In the end, and, and that is something that I think remains challenging for us all, there's this, the civilian that wants to have a product with living wage inside. And then there's the consumer that looks in the, in the supermarket and says, well, what, what can I afford? And then there's that, that there, there is a difference in action in what consumers do. In the end, I agree with Volkert that you need to, to communicate about these things, but really to create a big uptake, you need a broad movement. You see, the reason why I disagree with that, although I fully understand what you're saying, is that change has never come from a following majority, but has and will always come from a trendsetting minority, which is not a financial elite that can afford to pay a premium, but an awareness elite, as is demonstrated and proven by the organic and uh, fair trade movement globally, which usually sell best in, in university cities. And it is students, millennials, the younger generation that um, buys organic and uh, fair trade uh, who don't have money, but who do have brains. And they are prepared to not only be concerned about social and uh, environmental inclusion as a citizen, uh, but they also prepare to pay a premium, even with a limited budget at point of sale once they are provided with the information. I, I understand, Anna lot that ultimately we want a level playing field in the global market that includes living wage, but only in a sort of parallel universum that uh, is achievable. In this universe, I think we need to move step by step and it requires courage and vision and commitment from a few trendsetting minority retailers to differentiate themselves from those who only compete on price. 
So we have to move. And if we maintain this sort of gray area where we can only move, every, every, everyone moves, uh, I don't believe in that at all. I think we need courageous, entrepreneurial, visionary spirit of people who storm ahead and people like IDH are providing a platform for those who want to do that. In CFARF, we uh, determined as a first next step is for all companies to gain experience on the topic of living wages. Of course, there are several members who already have that experience, but there are also uh, many members who still don't. And I think that is a, a key first step for companies to lose uh, maybe a bit of nerves around the topic, right? To get to understand, okay, this is how it works. There are actually already great tools out there like the salary metrics. There are good companies and organizations that set proper, well-established benchmarks that you can use. You can reach out. And that is where these examples of, of Yosta or of Fives, uh, another company uh, part of, of CFAF is essential that, that, that they can see, okay, it's actually feasible to reach out through your supply chain and to work with your suppliers to get that conversation going on what salaries are paid and, and what the gap is uh, as compared to a uh, regional living wage. And then, of course, after that first step, so that first step is uh, making sure that everybody gets to learning how to engage in your supply chain and to measure uh, living wage uh, wages and a living wage gap. And then, of course, this, the next step will be is see who is willing and daring to engage and say, okay, now we want to go and close that gap. And that could be in, you know, in, in the way that Iosta is doing and saying, okay, I will do that individually with my suppliers and, and, and my customers that could be more in, in groups. So, uh, you know, having a, a group of companies around a single product where you say, well, we'll, we'll try to have a, a, a joint target and a joint ambition and feel a bit more comfortable knowing that I'm not the only one moving. So that will depend yeah, on, on the appetite of the companies. In the end, I do see a lot of interest. So I think that first hurdle is really important. Get companies to work with the topic, grow that confidence, and enable them to use the tools that are already there. But, uh, and I, I totally agree with Annalot that you need to spend a lot of energy in uh, harmonizing the framework, the templates, the, the standards, the protocols, Otherwise, you get anarchy and uh, you get different parties claiming different things on different standards. Having said that, we should also avoid, and I'm sure Anilot agrees with me, we should also avoid that we keep talking and discussing this uh, eternal benchmark until 2085 and in the meantime do nothing. I think we should uh, apply this um, principle of um, where there is a will, there is a detour. So if, um, if you want to do something, it, it, it needs to be in balance with your practices as well at some point. And that depends on the individual journey of each and every company, whether you're more courageous. If you're not, then don't even embark on this. If you're a little courageous, well, uh, sniff around and see if there's a standard that feels comfortable enough for the sector. If you're even more courageous, well, then you actually practice this right, right away 
And if you are a human being, then uh, you would say, well, talking about this is one thing, but then the, ultimately it's about providing a, an extra incentive, an extra income for the people who supply me on a daily basis. So let's reward them for this. Volkert, right? you're part of the, the roadmap on living wage. And we, uh, we already discussed the, the process for each company starts by understanding the topic, by knowing the, what the living wage is. And, uh, and then the, the gap needs to be calculated. So can you explain how the roadmap on living wages helps in this process? Well, what is really helpful in this roadmap is that it breaks down a complicated challenge into manageable sub-challenges. For instance, in uh, developing a, um, or embracing a procurement practice that you can define. So we could agree on a certain procurement practice. Secondly, we could, as a sector, agree on transparency and traceability. So uh, whilst we uh, don't know yet exactly where this whole thing will uh, get us, we can agree on a transparency code to disclose anything we do and to publish the living wage gap. Even if we are not closing it yet, we could be transparent about what the living wage gap is. That uh, is an important uh, step in this living wage roadmap as well. Uh, thirdly, we can uh, jointly invest money and brain power in how to identify practical solutions to crack a few of these challenges that we meet whilst exploring this. Fourthly, in the fourth place, we can, uh, within this roadmap, activate brain power in the supply chain, in NGOs, in government, uh, in the public sector, to attract attention and to help them provide a more level playing field in the meantime, uh, which is sort of working towards the objective that Annalot uh, just summarized, that ultimately we want regulations, we want fiscal incentives, that those who don't contribute to living wage, completing or filling their living wage gap will be penalized And those who do will be uh, supported. And finally, we um, should embark on practical solutions by exploring prototypes of how this can be commercialized and how we can, in, in real life, collect a premium that uh, closes the living wage gap. These are sort of uh, elements throughout the supply chain that can be implemented in, and, and which are part of the roadmap, which I strongly encouraged and I applaud on a lot and you guys and IDH for um, launching this. So maybe a little bit of, uh, of background on the roadmap on living wages. IDH has a platform called the Roadmap on Living Wages to strengthen international alignment on the topic of living wage and to help build solutions. That roadmap and many traders, retailers, brands have already joined that platform, which is uh, absolutely amazing, is essential for companies to really work on living wages and, and speed up the work on living wages. If you look at alignment, it's essential to have an aligned view on how do you identify a living wage. So which are the organizations that provide benchmarks that are reliable and that are consistent 
across the globe and that we can use as companies as in supply chains to measure living wage gaps. And that is the second step, having uh, measuring living wage gaps. How do you do that? So the roadmap is bringing tools, notably on measuring living wage gaps, uh, the salary metrics that in a uniform way helps companies to understand what are salaries actually being paid and what is the gap towards a living wage in that specific region. Thirdly, and I think that's a very important one and, and, and what we all need, and I think Volker also mentioned that several times, is that you need some sort, sort of verification, right? You need to, to, to be sure that you can trust that in a, a certain supply chain and at certain farms, living wages are paid or there is a certain living wage gap. And that is something that I really like and, and that is, I think, is very essential in the roadmap is that also scheme owners are involved uh, to see how they can play a role in, in this verification process. And uh, lastly, of course, there's uh, the most important step is closing living wage gaps. And that is where the roadmap also plays a role in bringing together learnings and, uh, and trying, piloting, you know, with the help of companies like Yosta, solutions on how to reduce the living wage gap. Is that through a fund? Is that through some other means? Is that through working on efficiency? Is that through increasing prices? There are, you know, there's a plethora of solutions that can help reduce that living wage gap. But building a whole uh, portfolio of potential solutions and doing that jointly is something that the, the roadmap on living wages uh, brings and that can really help companies set into action and actually deliver on those ambitions on living wages. So let's deep dive a little bit more into the step four, right? The, the, the real action on closing the gap. Volkert, like IDH uh, has, has picked out five solutions that, that, uh, that we recognize as, okay, right, the, these could potentially really help in, in, in closing that gap. So that's adopting the better procurement and trading practices, embracing the transparency, uh, co-investing and, uh, uh, with your supplier, the social dialogue element, and, uh, and of course to do it uh, collaboratively. So in your two really practical examples of the mangoes and the avocado, which of these practical solutions have you used? Is there one missing that you think, well, hey, we've done this. This should definitely be part of the list. How do you see these practical solutions? I think we applied all of them, all the steps you mentioned, to the best of our ability. And I'm sure they can still be improved. I'm sure there's more research needed. There's better alignment needed. There's verification needed. There's stakeholder inclusion needed, more than we did so far. But we just stormed ahead and uh, accepted the 20% action points that define 80% of the income of the result. We solved challenges, complicated challenges, by being really pragmatic about it and by looking at the bigger picture. That's something I can recommend others and fellow entrepreneurs. This is stuff that is complicated and tends to keep you hijacked hostage in the detail. And uh, whilst the detail is important, uh, certainly if you want to come to a third party verification, 
it can also keep you host, uh, hostage and by not getting anywhere. So you need to zoom in and zoom out again and steam ahead. And uh, finally, if you ask me <clears throat> where did we fail, I think it's in the last step that you left out in uh, providing practical examples, pilots that actually generate money to close the living wage gap. And no, I don't believe in funds. I don't believe in efficiency improvement. I don't believe in, I believe in total transparency in enabling the consumer to make an informed purchase decision. And if he wants to contribute to mitigating climate change, he should be able to do so. If he's interested in, in, in closing the living wage gap, he should be able to do, he should be enabled to do so and cast his vote for a better planet and a more just and a fairer distribution of wealth. Why should we prevent him from doing that? At this moment, we do. By commodifying and uh, supply chains and play the dividing govern game, whereby we play one supplier against the other in a race to the bottom at the expense of people and planet. This is a tremendous opportunity to position yourself as a retailer as a retailer who, do, who actually takes consumers seriously. The citizen is concerned about his health, social inclusion, and the environment. But as a consumer, he's kept in the dark at point of sale uh, with the only excuse, you only got a split second to talk to him there. Well, in this split second, you could use a shelf stopper and say, listen, Buy these mangoes, they're, they're 10 cents per kilo more expensive, but you save a few lives here and there. I think that is a essential way of moving forward, of having forward-looking companies pushing the boundaries, making all other companies in the supply chain, retailers and competition alike, feeling uncomfortable and saying, okay, wow, there's not just a living wage gap. There's a, living, there's a gap between what, where we are and where, what is possible. And that, you know, if, you, if you build that tension, then there becomes an, a natural urge to close that gap, at least, right? Exactly. Well said. To be better and, and, and not, not worse than, than your competitor. Uh, I, I think that's an essential part of working on on any complex topic to be honest whether it's living wages or whether it's living income or whether it's carbon footprint or whether it's soil health you know all these topics that are essential that we move on you need to have somebody that shows that it can be done competition is about generating new ideas and we should compete on living wage ideas and sustainability ideas not on price one of the, the challenges, you know, directly relating to what you're saying is you need to have companies throughout the supply chain, including retailers, including traders, including farmers that are brave, right? That, that, that steam ahead and say, well, we set an example here and we're actually, we're convinced that it, it doesn't only bring good, the good that we want to bring, but it's, it's actually also commercially interesting. I think we have a great example of uh, the living wage commitment on bananas in the Netherlands, where you know a few retailers 
uh, came together and said, okay, we're going to work on this. We're, we're going to commit to reducing li the living wage gap by 75% by 2025 in our banana supply chains, which is a considerable uh, goal and it's a big product. And yep. that's something that you need to replicate. Maybe not similar to this one. It could be single retailers saying, okay, I'm going to put my food down on a single product or on my entire line of products, you know, I'm, and I'm also only talking about fruit and veg. I'm really sorry. This can, of course, also be part of coffee and tea and, and anything else. But those are the examples that you need that then yeah. drives the rest of the group toward more towards, you know, and hopefully in 10 or 20 years, we look back at this and say, well, this is the new norm, right? This is, but you, you need those examples and, and you need to grow them. And we Thank have you. a great example of your avocados. We have the great example of, uh, of the bananas. And I'm surely, uh, you know, I think we all agree that we're all working on creating more examples as we go throughout the coming years, hopefully many of them also in fruit and veg. And uh, yeah, that, that in the end, uh, we become more successful in, in, in bringing this to the consumer and, uh, and uh, supporting our, our supply chains and our farmers and the workers at those farmers throughout. Well, dream, dance, deliver uh, is what we call it, how we call it. So if you want to deliver change, if you want to contribute to the new norm, as Annalot just described, then you have to co-creatively team up with those who want to be part of the solution, who want to join in this call for action. But it all starts with a shared dream. And that requires alignment and certificate and research and uh, a lot of sort of blood, sweat and tears to come up with uh, protocols and frameworks that can provide ease in our communication and verification and certification attempts. So uh, all are equally important, dream, dance, deliver. But ultimately, it's, a, it's about delivering something. And uh, a call for action, our call for action would be, let's not only dream, let's not only dance, but let's also start delivering right now and right here with a selection of players in the IDH network at large to implement the first beginnings of a fair distribution of wealth in a supply chain, such as bananas or coffee or fruit and veg or any other commodity for that matter. And I would love to invite uh, particularly retailers to um, join us in their search, how to reach out to the consumer and position the retailer as part of the solution. I think if you look at where we are now with all the work that has already been done by frontrunners in the roadmap on living wages, and of course also by other companies throughout the world, that we are already at a place where companies can actually feel confident that they can start moving. The tools are there, the benchmarks are there, the interest is there. So I think it's really great timing for companies to say, well, we, we can do this. We can, we can feel confident to take next steps and join that group of front runners and, and, and become a, a very much bigger group to work on this topic and be successful. 
Thanks, Volkert. Thanks, Annelot. And are you a company working on living wages and you want to become part of our roadmap? Or join us calling for action? Contact IDH on livingwage at idhtrade.org.